All right. Welcome to Hear Me Over Analyze, where we are going to be overanalyzing today. We are going to be talking about Yellow Jackets Season 2, Episode 8. It was amazing. I hope you guys loved it as much as I did. Let's jump right into this on the previously on. Now, the previously on might seem like a weird place to start. We don't really need to recap it, but I disagree. This goes all the way back to when I was really into Lost and what they show on the previously on is just so telling about what the people who make the show think is important from the show's history. Now, in this one, they really didn't pull from that far away. We started with the baby, just an overall baby recap leading to the fight with Lottie, recap of how everyone ends up, all the adults end up at the wellness center. We hear Jeff nervously calling Shauna about Adam's remains being found and Lottie realizing that her psychiatry appointments have actually been delusions, ending with the antler queen saying, does a hunt that has no violence feed anyone? Which if you've seen the episode, yeah, that probably becomes their mantra for the rest of the time they are in the wilderness. So the show starts, we start in 1996. It's post-fight and we see Mari and Misty helping Lottie walk over to pee in a bucket. So far in this series, we've been pretty spared of watching bowel movements, anything like that. This one was more than I was expecting. I wasn't expecting to actually watch her pee, but we do. The importance here, right, is that Lottie is really hurt. There's internal bleeding, there's blood in her pee, and it's not it's not great. She is not doing well. My big takeaway though was that they have Lottie in the attic part of the cabin, which just seems totally impractical. <laughs> You're telling me that they dragged Lottie's broken body up that ladder. I just don't I just don't understand. It seemed stupid to me, but I understand that they needed her separated from the rest of the cabin because of what happens later. But it just seemed bizarre. Right away we have Mari complaining. That is what she does. She's either bullying someone, saying like just needling people, but Mari's complaining. And Misty loses it on her. Misty actually snaps at Mari. I could not have been prouder of Misty in that moment. She said what we were all feeling. And she said, you have to be a little brat, just like you always are. Oh, it was beautiful. Misty is not my favorite character, but in that moment, we were all Misty. In return... Mari does get a little bit of sympathy from me for once. She 
this, I will say, we actually got to see like this actress do, like she looked hurt. She looked like a scolded little kid, kind of scared, sad. And we have not seen that from Mari at all so far. So that was really interesting. It's setting the stage for this idea of the girls being the pack. We knew this was coming, but we're finally getting to see it happen with Mari now kind of falling below Misty in that in that regard. So much so that Misty tells Mari to empty the pee bucket, which is a huge role reversal from when we saw Mari kind of bullying both Misty and Crystal, who always got stuck doing the gross chores. I know that, you know, supposedly they're using the cards to kind of like figure out who's doing what chore. But we also know that Misty and Crystal both always get stuck doing the gross chores. It's not far-fetched to believe that Mari was kind of setting it up that way. And now she has to do it. So we see Mari try to carry this gross bloody pee bucket down the ladder she drops it it goes everywhere and we see Mari break down we haven't really seen her break down up to this point before we've only seen her kind of be cold it was a weird breaking point for me personally it seemed a little bit bizarre but I guess everyone has their breaking point and that was just hers so that's where she starts to lose it. And I guess the, the point that they're making is, is that this is the point where everyone is starting to lose it pretty badly. Okay, moving on. Still 1996, Lottie does have some visions while she's lying up there in that attic that I don't know how they got her in. She does have some visions. Now I had a theory about this that perhaps Lottie let Shauna beat her to that point because she wanted to spur the visions was my theory. This could be wrong. I don't know. Here's Here's my take on it, okay? So I believe that because we saw Lottie have visions when she almost died in the competition, right? So her and Natalie were hunting and when Lottie almost froze to death, that's where she went to the mall and Laura Lee, all of that stuff, right? I believe Lottie is trying to spur on more visions because she's not having any. And that is alarming her, I think. The reason I think that is because Lottie didn't seem to have any idea what was going on with Crystal, whether Crystal was alive, whether Crystal was dead, was anything about it, anything. And we saw her have a lot of feelings, at least she verbalized, no hobbies alive, I know hobbies alive, I know hobbies alive, I know hobbies alive. So my theory is that she learned that near-death experiences bring about those visions. We see that in the adult women later on. And I think that young Lottie maybe let Shauna take her to that point to spur on these visions. Well, she gets what she wants, I think, because we get a couple visions. I may have missed a couple, but I did try to pause on each one. Here's what I saw. Um, the Queen of Hearts. We knew that was coming. People in the snow. Of... Uh, 
a really crude dry. It looked like, I think it was the Red River. Let me know if that, if you guys saw something different. They showed it twice and it, it didn't look like anything except maybe the Red River to me and something plunging into the ice. All of these, as we know, come back later. So those are the visions. Hopefully I didn't miss any. Then we get something that I was not expecting. <laughs> I got, I got to tell you, Aquila and Nugget. Aquila and Nugget. Okay, so in case you've forgotten, Nugget is the mouse that Aquila found and has been keeping in her pocket. She's playing with Nugget. And Nugget is playing back it, in this part. She talks, she's, she's telling Nugget all the things that she is going to do with and for Nugget when they get out of there. She's saying, you're going to meet my nephew. I'm going to build you this really cool cage where you're going to have tunnels. It's going to be so great. And before what happened happened, I had the thought of like, oh no, Akila is bringing up her nephew again. This is humanizing a character that didn't have a major role in season one. I'm scared that they're bringing up that nephew again and again to get us connected to Aquila so that they kill her off quickly. And I was very scared. Another thing I want to point out, because, you know, there is the theory about tunnels or some sort of mines being around, just the mention of tunnels with the mouse. It was something I noticed. So we may be alluding to either that theory or it may be nothing. So Aquila is playing with Nugget more out in the open than we've ever seen her do before. And Ty noticed. Aquila snaps at Ty, which again, we are seeing a character act in a way that we are not used to seeing them. We saw Mari break down, showing weakness. That was weird for Mari. And we're, see, uh, we're seeing Aquila being really mean. And Aquila so far has been just very sweet. And then we see that Nugget is not a, a fuzzy little alive mouse. Nugget is a nugget. Nugget is dead. Nugget is like the grossest mummified, dry, hairless mouse I've ever seen. Not that I've ever seen that. I just, I, I was amazed at how gross that was. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. So moving away from the shock of Nugget being a nugget, why this scene is important. For me, the takeaway is Ty is once again the one catching a person talking to a dead thing. So previously we had Ty catching Shauna interacting with frozen Jackie um, and really judging Shauna harshly for like putting makeup on Jackie and stuff. So now we have once again, Ty encountering one of the girls, you know, talking to something that's dead. So. Why is it always Ty? Why is it Ty? I personally think it's because Ty, at least teenage Ty, has this refusal in her to acknowledge 
any irrational thinking. Okay, bear with me because I know there's a lot of irrational things that like happen in the wilderness or things that we might call irrational. But we know that Ty has this like either traumatic or supernatural experience with her grandmother as a child. She has the man with no eyes that seems to plague her. We know that there's other or bad tie with the sleepwalking. We know that all of those things exist in her world. And we also know that she has like a refusal to acknowledge them for maybe being supernatural or anything. So I think that she's the natural person to kind of call this behavior out because she will not let herself accept any ounce of that and she can't let anyone else do it either. We know that the only reason she tolerates all of Lottie's mysticism that she's kind of bringing the group is because of Anne. We know that that's the only reason and because she stopped sleepwalking, which she attributes. I think that that is why they're having that character repeatedly have to do that and to bring these people back to reality in that way. And I think it's very likely that if other girls saw poor Akila kind of doing that, they might let her just do it. They might, because what, how is it maybe in their minds? They're going through a lot. How is it wrong for her to find hope? in this thing that doesn't exist. And that's sad. And some people might not think that that is healthy. And I also think that in that situation, what are you gonna do? But Ty seems like the the one to kind of call that out. And what we're supposed to take away from that is that like, she's still not grappling with what's going on with her. We move away from 1996. We go to back to 2021. Now I'm going to try, you may have already noticed, I'm going to go in the order that the show went. There's lots of different ways I can kind of structure these talks and I'll, you know, maybe I'll mix it up in the future. But I think especially for this episode, the way that it was structured seems really important to the way I talk about it. So we'll try. In 2021, no time has passed. Shauna has just gotten off the phone with Jeff and goes to the other woman and starts to relay the information about Adam's remains being found. I don't want to say his body because it's not all of his. So his remains being found. Obviously, Ty, Natalie, and Misty are concerned and they have some questions. Van and Lottie are confused. And that kind of is an important setup here. So we learn a couple things. We learn that Natalie is actually the one who buried the body in the park. I'm not certain that that information was privy to us before. We knew that Misty had gotten rid of the head hands and maybe feet. Those remains, I didn't recall that Natalie was the one to bury the body. So Misty starts questioning her like, you did it six feet, right? And it, it's pretty evident that Natalie's like, it was deep. Maybe, probably not six feet. Van 
we this whole scene is important, I think, not necessarily because the other women start to panic, because I wouldn't even say that they're panicking at this point. To me, I think that this scene is important because it's a big setup for a part of Van's personality that I'm not sure we've seen before. Van very quickly senses the weirdness of the situation, even though they tried to explain it away of just like, oh, that's Shauna just lost a friend. That's really unfortunate. Van isn't here for any of that. Van is very quick to call Thaisa out on lying about the situation. And we see how Van handles that. She, Shauna decides that she is going to go home to be with Jeff and Callie. Van, because no one will fill her in, takes Shauna's keys right out of her hand and throws them in the woods in the middle of the dark, forcing everyone to deal with the situation. It was pretty funny. I kind of love it. I love Van is such an interesting character, especially this episode. We get some, I was, I'll say darkness that we have not previously experienced with this character, but I still love her. Her forcing everyone to confront a situation. I guess I identify a little bit with that. It was, it was good. I loved Van for that. We get the reminder that the women are unaware that Jeff, there's a couple things. They're unaware that Jeff knows about the murder, much less Callie. They're unaware that Jeff was actually the blackmailer. And they're unaware that Randy helped Jeff do that. Now, I've got to be upfront right here. I have, no, had and probably still have trouble accepting the fact that Jeff was just blackmailing them money. I especially in season one, it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that like he sent those postcards. He did these things. I know a lot of people are just like Jeff is this innocent guy who made a stupid mistake. And you're probably right. I'm probably wrong. But I just feel like there is something more there. And I felt like I should be upfront about that because it might cloud the way I talk about Jeff because he is this really funny dad character that I do love a lot. But I also just would not be surprised if there was more to his story. I don't know. Probably not. So they're unaware of all of that. They, the women still believe that Adam it is the, or was the blackmailer. We jump back to 1996, and there is a reason for that. We have Van kind of showing her true colors in 2021, forcing everyone to confront the situation. And then we jump back to 1996, and we're going to start seeing these characteristics in Teen Van. So we start out, and Van in Teen Van is watching Ty, while Ty seems to be kind of in like a fugue state. Okay. We have seen adult Ty look at and interact other Ty or bad Ty, but we have not seen teenage Ty like be, have an out-of-body experience with that other being until now. So that we see that happening. Van is watching Thaisa go through this. 
And of course, teen, bad or other tie does the creepy smile that adult tie, other tie does sometimes. And it's very creepy and spooky, but she's actually talking to Van. So once Thaisa comes out of that fugue state, Van is obviously worried about her. And then we see, we really start to get allusions to how absolutely starving, and I mean that in every sense of the word, everyone is at this point in the winter. So we see Van give Mari, who's cooking, Jackie's leather belt. And she says, like, it's made of leather. Maybe if we boil it, there's protein or something. So that that's how desperate they are at this point. I think it's really easy for us to say, like, oh, that's ridiculous, like boiling a leather belt. It reminds me a lot of the real life situation that happened with the rugby team in the Andes. I think it was in the 70s where that team after a plane crash on a glacier in the middle of the mountains, they were out there for 70 some days. And I know that at some point they attempted to like eat parts of the plane like they tried to take like the cushions apart and stuff and they they tried they actually tried to eat the plane and that team did also eventually resort to cannibalism I think that there is a lot of stuff that we are supposed to I would not be at all surprised if like aspects of Yellow Jackets was inspired by real life events that happened to this rugby team The difference here is that the rugby team only resorted to eating other people who had already died. That really creates a contrast with the Yellow Jackets who are going to start, I guess we should just call it hunting, right? I don't know what else to call it. And if that interests you at all, that rugby team. I saw something, I think 2020 is doing a special on them soon. So, I mean, there's tons of stuff out there already, but I I just saw that I believe it's 2020 that's going to do a a new thing on that. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's because Yellow Jackets is happening and people have interest in this kind of thing. But yeah, that team had a lot of, unfortunately, team members who had passed away that were just kind of around, whereas these girls crashed in spring and buried all the bodies and now the ground is frozen. So they don't have access like that. So we're going to resort to some, some dark stuff. But so we're watching them like actively starve to death. Jen and Melissa express anger with Shauna for beating up Lottie. I get that. I <laughs> I don't really know how I would feel in that situation. I think the whole thing is incredibly complex. Van shuts them down almost immediately. And she says something that I that we have to dissect. We have to because what? Van says Lottie took it from her to protect us. I want to reiterate, 
Van says, Lottie took it from her to protect us. I think that sentence would be very different if the actress had said, Lottie took it from her to protect us, meaning like she took that beating. But like the way Van said it did not sound like that at all. The way she said it made it seem like she was talking about something that was in Shauna that needed to come out, which is obviously like anger. And there's like a way to simplify this, but the way Van talked about it made me think that there was a lot more going on. The way Van talks about Shauna's anger, she talks about it like it's not Shauna. She talks about it. She calls it it. And that's not the only time that's gonna happen this episode. So I think it's important to talk about. They're personifying some something the same way they're talking about the woods, but they don't seem, or at least Van doesn't seem to be talking about like a supernatural element that is the woods and is also inside of Shauna and all of these things. It doesn't seem like one in the same. She's talking about this in a way that like, it's a separate entity, which I think is important, especially with the role that Van is getting ready to play with the rest. We cut away from them. We're still in 1996. Natalie is sitting down next to Coach. And Natalie says, maybe Lottie dying wouldn't be the worst thing. Coach misinterprets what Natalie is saying. And she, he basically says, like, yeah, she's in a lot of pain. Maybe just like her, ending that pain isn't inherently negative. But Natalie clarifies that she thinks it would be a good thing because Lottie has changed the overall vibe of the group. Lottie has brought some spirituality, mysticism into the group that Natalie has been like very clear she is not into it. And so what Natalie is kind of saying here, while I, I don't want to like, you know, agree with someone saying that a human life should end, I would never do that. What I will say is that Natalie's saying that like, maybe if people stop all of this weird mysticism that's going on, we can try to like focus on real survival. Maybe we can figure out a plan. I don't like the direction. This feels cultish is kind of what Natalie is saying. And instead, what Coach Ben hears is frustrating. Because Coach Ben responds with, sounds like you're jealous. And this is where I lost my mind. Coach Ben, I don't know if it's misogyny that's happening, whether it's ageism that's happening. I don't know what's going on with you. But basically what you're saying to Natalie in that moment is you're a stupid little girl who wants to be popular. That means Lottie needs to die because I don't have what she has. So I'm just jealous. So she should probably die. But are, are you serious? Like, I know you have been useless almost the entire time. But for you to just discount Natalie's completely valid concerns with starting a cult 
while they're stranded in the wilderness. I don't, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know what to say to you, coach. Where have you been? You are the worst adult in the room. Natalie is much more of an adult that I don't, I'm, I'm done with coach Ben. I really have tried to care about this character. I am here for a man struggling with his homosexuality and the 90s and lack of acceptance. I am here for that, but I am not here for this. I'm not here for this. <sighs> Natalie has helped keep this man alive. She is basically the only person that still speaks to him, which she does on occasion when she draws the map. Jealous? Okay, so Natalie handled that better than I than I did. And she basically tries to present some evidence to him because he has not been present. He's just been moping in his room by himself as the only adult. So she tries to give him some facts that he may not have because he's been missing. So she says, even Javi's gone to the dark side. And then she explains that she saw Javi bowing to a symboled tree the other day. And I gotta tell you, that is pretty concerning. I know there is a huge debate around, is this supernatural? Is it trauma? Little things like the symbols still having been carved in the trees, Javi bowing to the symbol after being gone for so long, I, I'm still, I'm obviously team both, all right? I think there's some supernatural. I don't know where those symbols came from. I don't know like what made the, we saw the angle of the wind and the snow fall onto Jackie's corpse while it was burning so that it cooked her. Like I, there are some things that we're not seeing through characters' eyes that still seem supernatural. And obviously it's still trauma. But but Javi bowing to a tree is, is concerning. Coach asks what I think to be not a question I would have asked in that moment because she already said it was a symboled tree. We know there are many symboled trees. We know that they're marked on the map. But Coach says, oh, which one? And she says it was near the creek. During this part, we have the kind of like, I don't even want to try to mimic it because I would do a horrible job, but we have the, the supernatural music. It's, it's the music where we know something is going on with the mysticism and the woods and the wilderness and all of that. So that music starts to come up while they're having that conversation. Coach Ben then goes back and looks at Javi's drawings. He kind of goes through Javi's stuff a little bit and he finds a bunch of drawings. To me, it, it felt like the show was trying to make us feel like this was some sort of big reveal. I didn't really feel like it was a big reveal. And that is probably because I am just so frustrated with Coach Ben. <laughs> I am so frustrated with Coach Ben. So, so I didn't feel that way. The only thing that I wanted to note, someone online took a screenshot of one of the drawings that Coach Ben shuffled through. So it's not the one, you know, of the tree roots that we had already seen. It was one of the others. 
in the screenshot of the drawing that Javi did next to a picture of Adam's tattoo, they look incredibly similar. I put it on my Instagram because it was shocking. So thank goodness this is in the column of like Adam is not just Adam. <laughs> so I wanted to point that out. Otherwise, Coach Ben rifles through Javi's stuff because all of a sudden he's nosy and wants to know what's going on, even though I'm very irritated with him. I'm just irritated with him. I'll get over it. No, I won't. I won't. We're still in 1996. Mari, here's the dripping again. Not a whole lot happens here. Mari, here's the dripping. Ty says, so do I. Mari looks at the wall and she hallucinates, we're led to believe it's hallucinate, maybe supernatural, blood coming out of the wall. The only thing that I think is worth talking about in this part, unless I really missed something, which is totally possible, definitely comment and let me know if I did. But to me, the only thing that is really noteworthy in this moment is her screaming, they're dead. They're dead. They're dead. They're dead. Who? Who? Who's dead? Who's they? Who is the they? Nobody asked. Nobody. Just me. No, I'm sure other people did, but nobody on screen asked. Who's, who's dead? The other people in the crash? We didn't see a whole lot of blood there, and that was months ago. Not that you should be over it. Obviously, lifelong trauma, but what? What? Who? Who's dead? Who? Whose blood did you think that was, Mari? Tell me. Okay, that was it though. Jump back to 2021. We have cops showing up at Shauna and Jeff's house. <sighs> All right. They have a search warrant. They are going to go through everything. Kevin Tan tells Jeff, like, he openly tells Jeff that Shauna is officially a suspect in Adam's murder. The I feel a little bit bad because I can't remember the character's name. The I just in my brain he's the creepy cop. He's the one with the mustache who was hanging out with Callie. And he can say that that was for his job all he wants. I think he's a creep. So from here on till the end of this, where I will try to go learn his name, he's Creepy Cop. We've got Kevin Tan and Creepy Cop. Creepy Cop decides to be the one of all of the other police officers there to go and search Callie's room. It's really important for him to do that section of the house. Callie, good girl, is recording this encounter proud of her for that. And on camera, she is saying things that call him creepy because he is. But basically on camera, like she's still holding up her phone. There is a point where she puts it down, but when she is still holding it up, he basically says like, oh, nice try getting to think my partner that we slept together. He says that while he knows Callie is filming him. I just could not like this person less. Uh, it frustrates me that he's right about who committed the murder because I just genuinely hate him. I just, I just dislike him so incredibly. So there's that. Kevin is, Kevin Tan is questioning Jeff. 
at the kitchen table. Jeff asks about a lawyer. He's like, oh, do I need a lawyer? It like word for word, exactly what Shauna said the first time Kevin Tan came by. And Kevin Tan fails me. He fails me because Kevin Tan says, oh, man, you and your wife keep asking for lawyers. Man, that makes you look guilty. Looks like you're hiding something. This is something that frustrates me beyond belief because it is your right to be represented by an attorney who knows the law. At this point, Kevin Tan has literally said the words out loud to Jeff, your wife is a suspect, meaning the only reason we are here is to prove that she and maybe you committed crimes. Now, don't get me wrong. All people deserve attorneys. Why in the world would Jeff not want an attorney in this situation? Kevin Tan can't even be pretending that he's talking to them out of a courtesy. He has told them, we are here in an effort to prove that you have committed a... So his saying, oh, this makes you look guilty. No, you told me you think my wife is a suspect. You think we look guilty already. I just want to reiterate, guilty, not guilty, a little bit guilty. I don't care. Everyone is entitled to an attorney and that should not make it seem to the police like that person is guilty. It just makes me so mad. Okay, at this point, creepy cop, comes in with Kevin Tan and they are both talking to Jeff and they use a tried and true tactic of showing Jeff pictures of Adam's body. This was obviously done to shock and it works. This scene is significant in my opinion because Jeff is finally seeing who his wife is. We know he's read the diaries or the journals. We know that he knows a lot about Shauna and what she did or what she had to do or whatever. We know that he knows a lot. We don't know uh, if he knows everything, but we know he knows a lot. We also know that he knows she actually did murder this fellow human being. We, she tells him that. But when confronted with the actual images, these remains, and how they've been desecrated, it's too much for him. It's, he has to really look in the face at the, the darkest aspects of his wife. And while I think he knew that those aspects of her existed, I don't think he knew how, maybe how good she was <laughs> at them and, and how good she is at compartmentalizing because I think that he kind of has this idea and and I think it's, this is natural I think I would probably be the same this idea that if his wife does have this dark side that she can't really be that dark or that evil because it would be obvious she wouldn't be able to live a normal life like I know I know her I see her she's 
you know, what irons and watches Jeopardy, right? So I think her ability to compartmentalize like that really astonished him. And he gets very creeped out by it. We learn that they were able to identify Adam's remains through bone marrow DNA. So basically, Adam had a friend who had cancer. Boy, do I understand that. And that friend who had cancer needed a bone marrow donor. And Adam did that. So they had his DNA on file. Obviously, I think it's obvious. We are supposed to speculate who that friend is. It seems obvious that it's Walter. Maybe. (laughs) Who knows? Jeff gets overwhelmed by all the pictures and the precision with which it was dissected, I guess is maybe the right word. And he says that he's not going to say anything else until he gets a lawyer. And hopefully he follows through on that. We have not actually seen him get a lawyer and they really need one at this point. (laughs) So hopefully he follows through on that and doesn't just keep talking to Kevin Tan. Jumping sideways over to the women in Lottie's compound commune. What do we want to call it? Wellness center. Shauna gets honest. I think this is the most honest we've ever seen her. She gets honest with herself about a lot of things. Tells everyone Jeff knows about the murder. She says that she needed to tell him because she needed him on her side. And Ty says something interesting. Ty says that we all want things that we can't have. And she says it very angrily. Everyone's very angry with Shauna. But Ty saying we all want things that we can't have. I think this is important because what we have seen with adult Ty is her getting what she wants. (laughs) In season one, we were led to believe that that like altar she made in her crawl space was to win the election. We see Ty getting what she wants a lot and um, kind of the measures her conscious or subconscious will go to to get that. It's pretty hypocritical. Shauna implies that everyone there has secrets and the reason that that is brought up is because we are reminded about Jessica Roberts little side thing about Jessica Roberts very quickly that I want to point out. It seems like everyone was looking for Adam who had gone missing, but we have a woman, Jessica Roberts, who went missing at least for days and then randomly reappears dead in her running car. And that's not really mentioned, not alluded to as being on the news. It doesn't seem to be investigated. We haven't even heard Kevin Tan mention it like in passing. We haven't heard Creepy Cop and Kevin Tan mention it like, oh, well, we got to check out this other thing. It just seems like Jessica Roberts has kind of like fallen off the face of the planet and we're all supposed to be okay with that. And I'm not. (laughs) So we know that Ty has Jessica Roberts as a secret. And that that is how Ty actually found where Van was. It sounds like when Ty and Van split that it, that it wasn't great because they are 
it seems like there was a concerted effort to not know where the other was. Misty, however, also in the room, knows that Ty hired Jessica Roberts to dig up things about them in, you know, before her election. So Misty decides to tell the group. She shares with the class. And in doing so, Misty admits to taking care of Jessica Roberts, which everybody there understands is killing Jessica. We jump back to 1996 and we have one scene kind of smack dab in the middle of just everybody being nice. And I should have known that this was, you know, where, where everything was going to go wrong, right? Because everyone was being just a little too nice and a little too hopeful for a little too long. Misty checks in on Coach Ben. It was really sweet. It didn't seem creepy at all, which is a great growth for teenage Misty from season one. She seems genuinely concerned about Coach Ben's mental health. Natalie made Javi some gloves. They are of the fingerless variety, which I bring up that way because we had seen shots of some fingerless gloves poking up through some ice in teasers and stuff. It was a very sweet moment. Javi, still not speaking, seems very appreciative. Travis watches this interaction and he goes over and apologizes to Natalie for basically being a giant jerk to her. I understand him being upset that Natalie, in a way, like fake Javi's death. But it's pretty clear that Natalie did that in an effort to try to protect Travis based off of the information she had at the time. And every, it's just a really sweet moment. Don't worry, it's over. It's over. Here we go. Strapping everybody. Lottie upstairs starts grabbing at her coat, just trying to get it off. Reminder, she is incapacitated. Internal bleeding. She has some sort of infection. She is not doing well, and she's grabbing at her coat. So this Leads us to believe like her infection is getting worse. She's got this fever. It's bad. Lottie says to Misty, if I die, don't waste my body. I think that cannibalism is the least interesting part of that. I feel like more than anything, this is showing Lottie feeling out of touch with the supernatural side. We have spent basically all of season two, watching Lottie feel really in touch with either the wilderness or her delusions, depending on what you believe for, for teen Lottie. To me, this shows her feeling really out of control and really out of touch with that because she doesn't know. She doesn't seem to know what's going to happen. She doesn't have this blind faith of like, the wilderness will heal me or the wilderness will take me. She doesn't seem to have strong feelings either way. That's interesting to me. So to me, that is more interesting than the proposed cannibalism because in a situation like that, I think most people would say like, if I am already dead, please keep surviving. We're still in 1996 and I'm about to just get upset about Coach Ben again. I just can't 
I just can't with this man. Coach Ben seems to be trying to copy the map that Natalie has made. And he's trying to make like a small scale hand-drawn map. And it's very clear that he wants to go find where Javi went. And this makes me really mad. It, it just does. This makes me really angry. It's the middle of winter. There's probably two, three feet of snow at the shallowest points of the snow. And I don't think that there is any way that you can spin Coach Ben on his crutches going out to find where Javi went as him doing a noble or important thing. I think this just encapsulates how incredibly selfish he is. If he was doing this with any good intent or any just not even, he doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have to be like a self-sacrificial thing. I'm not saying you have to be a martyr to be a good person. But he's, like, he's, it's so selfish. If he was doing this at all to help in any sort of rescue situation, he could tell Natalie what he thinks she should do. She doesn't buy into the mysticism which is a column in the right direction of like trying to achieve something like this. And she is the only person who talks to him. She would do it is my point. I think she would do it. If he was doing this to help save them or to just do something positive, he would have had someone else do the plan. Someone more able-bodied given the situation, given him not being used, super used to only having one leg and going around on the crutches, plus the snow, plus the terrain, plus you don't know what else, he would have had someone else do it. My vote would have been Natalie, maybe Natalie and Travis. And she, and they would have done it, but he doesn't. He decides to go do this by himself because I think he's incredibly selfish and I don't see this being good at all. And then he sets out on his crutches. He just leaves all of them without saying a word to anyone. So maybe best case scenario, he's creating additional possible trauma for these for this group that has already been through so much by the only adult who has not helped in any way shape or form just disappearing I'm over him I just I can't I can't with him I just okay <sighs> jump back to 2021 we are with the women and Misty is coming clean about Jessica Roberts and all sorts of stuff. So Misty had already admitted to taking care of the Jessica Roberts situation, which everyone implied meant unaliving her. But 
Misty goes all in and she admits to the group that she held Jessica Roberts hostage <laughs> in her basement. <laughs> now, that that was pretty bold of her. I've got a lot of theories about Misty that I think I will make just a separate video about, but basically this is helping to confirm a lot of theories that I already had about Misty. She also admits to pretending to be the FBI when Randy Walsh was being questioned. And in this, she calls Walter her boyfriend, which was really disappointing. We know that Misty has a lot of attachment and boundary problems. It's the reason I say disappointing is because we saw teenage Misty be set straight with like expectations and attachment with Coach Ben in season one. And to me, it seems like she handled that relatively well. We don't see her still teenage Misty in the winter approaching Coach Ben with those same sort of feelings. It seems like she's kind of let that go. So it's really disappointing that 25 years later, Misty is still having these really intense attachment problems. But in doing this, in this conversation about Misty and Walter pretending to be the FBI while questioning Randy Walsh, trying to figure out where Natalie was, the group figures out that Jeff was actually the blackmailer. Oh no, Shauna, you thought the heat was off of you. You had Misty admitting to murders and holding people hostage in a dungeon in her basement. But nope, it's back on you, Shauna. It's back on you because her husband was the blackmailer. Like I said earlier, I just really struggle thinking that Jeff, first of all, didn't need a Jessica Roberts to hunt down all these women to send them postcards. Then was, he doesn't seem, or he's not presenting himself like an evil person. So bringing up that trauma, using the symbol on the postcard seems really evil especially when the postcards didn't even end up saying anything about blackmail. He did that all through text. It just seems like unnecessary. I just really feel like there's something else going on with Jeff here, but that's, I'm probably wrong. All right, moving on. We get to this intense cut to the Walter. It was beautiful, guys. If you haven't watched it or if you were not paying attention during this scene, you need to go back. I'm sure I missed things, all right? I'm sure that I did. But I went through this scene frame by freaking frame because it was just beautiful, intense, just everything I wanted it to be. It was just so much. It was just great. So what's going on with Walter 
is he is doing a puzzle, which if you know me in my real life, you know I hate puzzles. So I was immediately like, Walter, I knew. I knew you were a puzzle person. So he's doing this giant puzzle and this like intense Scandinavian style home with these crazy windows in the they do like a overhead shot of the puzzle he doesn't have a ton of it done but what I did see is I saw a ship and an astronaut I do feel like they showed us these things on purpose I don't know why they showed a ship and an astronaut, but that is what the bits of the puzzle that he had done. If you have theories about the ship and the astronaut, let me know. But more disturbing for me than the puzzles. This man is drinking. He, he's alone in his home, doing a puzzle, drinking milk out of a wine somebody call the police it's not okay so I guess I don't know what else to say about the milk in the wine glass but it was just and don't tell me it was like a white Russian that's that's still just basically drinking milk it's gross it's gross out of a wine glass okay so a couple things like I said, he was in a Scandinavian style home, I think. I don't really know a lot about architecture, but that is what popped into my brain. And I said, I think that's right. And more importantly, his house is not a boat. His house is not a boat. His house is not a boat. Okay, sure. Maybe he's got a houseboat as like his second home. Maybe that's his Airbnb. I don't, I don't know, but his house is not a boat. There's also a lot of blue. There was like blue everywhere. I wrote down that he had blue PJs. I think we see later that they were not actually pajamas. I feel bad for calling them pajamas. I don't know what that style of dress is called, but it was blue. Elijah Wood has blue eyes. That is evident in all of the blueness going on. There's blue paintings in the back. Blue, 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 blue. I don't know how that's related to the, the purple or the heliotrope of Lottie, but I know that sometimes colors mean things here. Blue. They show his laptop. The background of his laptop is a cat with its tongue out. You know, we've got Walter the cat chasing Misty or all of the women as the, the mouse. I don't know if we're going back to Nugget. Are they a mummified Nugget? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just giving you information. I'm overanalyzing, right? That's what I do. So we've got the cat, the tongue out. I've never seen a cat put its tongue out the way that this particular picture had a cat tongue out, but it very much looked like the cat was sticking his tongue out at us in like a nanny nanny boo boo kind of way a little bit a little bit that's what I noticed okay then Walter gets notifications on his computer he's sitting there doing his puzzle he's got his laptop next to him some notifications pop up I'm gonna read them to you because of course I wrote them down so Someone on the Citizen Detective site with the handle in the thick of it, so at in the thick of it, messages Walter and says, 
She's a literal, and then in all caps, man-eater. Then, at Sammy the Sleuth said, I knew it was her at putting the sick in forensics, which is Walter. You're the man. Then the last one was from at 33 underscore red herrings, plural, said, does anyone know where the case is going now? So Walter gets on his computer. Why, what are all these people messaging me about? Oh my goodness, what's going on? And he sees all the articles about Adam's remains being found. So a couple of things with people directly messaging Walter the way that they were. It seems like he was more than just interacting with people in general on a forum. It seems like he was working with some of these other individual sleuths and messaging them directly about his theory. Because for someone to say she's a literal man eater, it seems like he has posed a theory because the article doesn't say like, and here's our number one suspect. They seem to know who it was. That's something that stuck out to me. Another thing that sticks out to me is if you pause the screen when he is looking at the news, at the top, there are other articles, article headlines, right? And one of them I didn't think mattered, you know, given because that's not the one I wrote down, it'll probably be the one that matters. But there's one on the left hand side that says that there's a storm coming and the governor has issued a severe weather warning. So I feel like this storm is going to play a part in next week's episode. But moving along with the plot, Walter reads the article, goes to the town in New Jersey. He types in like that fake town name, New Jersey Police Department, and he emails the police department. And he basically doesn't give them any information, but he says, I may have information. That was basically all the email said. Or he said, I may have information that will help with your investigation. I put two scenes together that were separated, but I don't think it's super significant that they were separated. The next time we see Walter, he grabs what seems like an already packed overnight bag out of a coat closet and then grabs either a purple coat or a purple outfit, something. He, he grabs a purple. We know where he's going. We know that he has a purple outfit all ready to go just in case he needed to go visit Misty. So, cutting sideways, Jeff and Callie. Part of this is so, so, so sweet. And part of this makes me want to shake Jeff. And I know that Jeff is getting a lot of love online. Everyone seems to just adore Jeff. And I get it. If there's nothing darker to Jeff, my sincerest apologies. But I'm just giving him a little side eye. Okay. So poor Jeff, like genuinely poor Jeff has a dream. And it's pretty obvious that it's a dream pretty quickly. I hope you guys agree with that that Shauna comes home 
from Lottie's retreat and just like starts cutting him, starts slicing him up. It's it gets pretty silly pretty quickly because Shauna has like electric knives as hand in place of her hands. And I feel bad for Jeff in this moment because he's coping with a couple different things, but unfortunately I don't think he realizes he's coping with a couple different things. I think he just thinks he's coping with this thing that his family is going through and like his wife being much more brutal than he realized but I think there's more going on for him and he just doesn't know it we have heard Jeff multiple times this season talk about like you cheated on me because I'm so boring and like the strawberry lube and all that stuff right like he it's very like adorably innocent funny with Jeff sometimes but he can't seem to separate that like being a more exciting person doesn't have to equate with like the brutality of Shauna <laughs> like those are separate like you can be more exciting Jeff like y- you could go even somewhere more exciting than Williamsburg like I, I bet you could go somewhere more you could go go down the street and find somewhere more exciting than Williamsburg. Like you can do more exciting things that that aren't that extreme, but he's he can't separate that. So he's really struggling. I think in the scene, one thing that we really see is how much he does love Shauna. Like he loves Shauna. At least I believe that right now. And he really wants to love all of Shauna. He wants to love Shauna unconditionally. And, and he doesn't love these really brutal, scary parts. And I think he is struggling with that as I think would anyone. So he gets up, he finds Callie on the couch. Callie, 16 years old, sitting on the couch, drinking a beer. I know Callie has gotten a lot of hate this season. I loved Callie in this moment. Like poor freaking Callie. I think a lot of people forget what it was like to be 16. I am reminded often of what 16-year-olds were like, which reminds me what I was like as a 16-year-old just because of the nature of my work. But like, 16 is such a tough and important age. She feels adult, but she's not adult. Her brain is literally not developed to to be adult at all yet. And she is grappling with all of this stuff almost completely by herself. And she is really scared in this moment that the brutal pieces of Shauna are like genetic characteristics that are passed down to Callie. And the entire reason that she's even worried about this amongst all of the other trauma she's currently experiencing are because the creepy cop put this in her mind, added to the list of reasons I can't stand him, okay? Just traumatizing a 16 year old for no reason. 
And I think that that's a really natural fear that if you're related to someone that you think has really negative traits, to worry that those traits can be inherited. And I can't imagine what that must feel like for someone when they know their mom is capable of murder and like the brutality of that murder, not like an accidental thing or just, I don't know, we can all agree it was brutal. So Callie's processing that. Then we learn something that I think we all didn't think was true. We learn that Jeff actually freaking knew about the baby that Shauna had. This, I was not expecting this, guys. I I have overanalyzed this show up, down, and back again. I was not expecting for Jeff to know about the baby. I, I'm speechless. Like, it caught me off guard. I was very, I like being surprised sometimes. That was a big moment. So he tells, I, I think the reason that he shares this really sad story with Callie is I think Callie's entire life, her entire life, she has just been told your mom went through something horrific out there. It was horrific out there. People died. Her best friend Jackie died. Like, it's really hard, I think, especially for teenagers to um, really empathize with someone's experience or like understand why I truly understand why someone acts the way they do based off of a trauma if you don't have enough information and Callie wasn't given a lot of information which I also think is fair like from a mom perspective you don't want to share with your daughter and like traumatize your daughter based off of your own trauma but no one has ever really talked to her about like some of the other things. And so I think that this was something that Jeff could give Callie that he knew about that like would just explain just a little bit of like the gravity of things that happened out there. Callie and Jeff, it was a very sweet moment. So I'm going to give Jeff some ratings right here, okay? Jeff, as a dad in this moment, A+. I loved this parenting moment between Jeff and Callie. A+, parenting moment. He shares so that she can understand that there's more to this experience and this trauma that she survived without giving too much detail. He didn't go into the nitty gritty with her. He just brought it up as like, there's a lot you don't know. This other thing happened. It's really sad. And then he hits her with this grade A parenting statement. That's your mom's burden to bear and mine too, I guess. But you don't have to make it yours. Chef's kiss, Jeff. Yes, I have not seen you do a lot of parenting on this show, Jeff. Loved it. I loved it. I loved that moment. A plus parenting. Being a husband? D minus. 
D minus husbanding, husbanding in this moment, Jeff. Disappointed. Disappointed, Jeff. Because I'm going to reread that same really good parenting statement, okay? That's your mom's burden to bear. And mine too, I guess. Jeff. 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 Be better. You guess? You guess? I know you weren't there. I know, I know you couldn't be there to, to actually experience that trauma with Shauna. But we have got to stop like excusing men from being accountable for that type of trauma. Not accountable for, that's the wrong phrasing. It's obviously not his fault that Shauna had a baby in the wilderness and went through that trauma by herself without, without her relationship partner. But first of all, men are allowed to experience loss and being traumatized through that loss. And it is bad for everyone when we pretend that they cannot. Feel that loss, Jeff. Be better, my God. Oh, okay, moving on. 1996. We are back with Misty. Misty tells the group what Lottie said. Basically that Lottie said she would not want her body to go to waste. First of all, they did believe that Lottie said this to Misty. I was really nervous that they were all going to be like, Misty, you're lying. Like, I thought this could have gone poorly for, for Misty. Misty should not be the informer, the, the messenger, if you will, for for things like this, given that nobody trusts her. So, Everybody there agrees that they cannot imagine surviving in the wilderness without Lottie, which is really kind. I think that that would make someone feel valued. What bothers me about this is that I, I do feel like at this point, they should feel that way about everybody around them. You have been in, I mean, you essentially have a trauma bond with every single person there. And it just harkens back to nobody. Is it, is anyone bothered that Crystal is gone? No one, you guys didn't find her body. What do you, no one, you can't imagine surviving this without Lottie, but you've already like forgotten Crystal's name. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I'll get over it, except I probably won't. So they say they can't imagine doing it without Lottie. Travis points out, like, it doesn't matter if you can't imagine it because we are all starving to death. You know, Lottie's body is already fighting a battle to attempt to heal. She can't do that uphill climb if she is starving. Her body needs nutrients. This implies this is the beginning of the implication that they're gonna do the first hunt. I something that I was not anticipating is that that hunt will be 
a sacrifice essentially for Lottie and in a way all of them right because he does make the point that like we, we will all starve to death but this starts out as like we need to do anything in our power to keep Lottie alive interesting just want to point out in addition to that not a single human being has noticed that coach Ben is missing okay 2021, we are back with the women. I combined two scenes here because I think that that is a good idea. I'm just following it. So the group's arguing about Jeff being the blackmailer. You get, I really got the sense in that moment, the way that they were arguing, it was so real. Like they were, they did a very good job of, having people argue and feeling stuck. You get the sense that these women are isolated from everyone else, even though they hate each other, they are stuck. Sorry, my dogs are barking, my apologies. These women are stuck with each other and they are isolated from everyone else, even in the middle of civilization. It's like they are all that they have. They hate each other. They don't want to deal with each other. And they are in total isolation, even 25 years later in civilization. It's really sad. Shauna says for the 50th time that she doesn't know what's happening to her and basically that she feels completely out of control. Everyone keeps telling me that Shauna is really smart. We haven't seen a ton of that this season, but I'm going to give it to her here because she's at least self-aware. She says, I am completely out of control and I don't know why. Juxtapose this with Shauna being out of control and beating Lottie almost to death. We have a long history of the show, history repeating itself. I will go into that at a later date. I've got theories. But Sean just lays it all out and says, I can't stop. I Everything I do is wrong. Everything I do is making everything worse. Here we are. And Lottie cuts Natalie off because Natalie is doing like therapy talk basically to Shauna where she's like, thank you for being honest. Let's all be honest. And like Natalie is going through the motions of what she knows from years of therapy and rehab and it's unfortunate that Lottie stops her because I think everybody in that room could have helped but Lottie cuts her off and this is one of the first times we hear Lottie say a lot this episode Lottie has largely been sitting with the other women making really kind of scary faces every once in a while So all of a sudden, Lottie is taking over this meeting, and Lottie says, we're not going to solve, S-H word, with talking that. And it was so sharp the way she said it. Like, I knew it wasn't her voice, but it sounded like it came from, like, Ty or maybe Van. And then Lottie says, this isn't something that therapies can fix. Great. Lottie has now completely, like, bought in to her delusion. So she, even though she has realized 
that the meetings with her psychiatrist were delusion. And in those meetings, she was talking about like maybe believing her delusion. So even once she's realized that, uh, no, she's all in again. So she is, she's thinking that she is like one with the wilderness and can knows, knows, can, can be, speak with authority more than Natalie can on this. And then Lottie lays out her theory of how whatever it is brought them all back together. She points out everyone's, you know, bad behavior as evidence of the wilderness wanting more sacrifice, essentially. Then we get a couple quotes. Hope you guys are ready. She says, and now we have to give it what it wants. This is another quote, this episode, where we have the elusive it, right? And now we have to give it what it wants. Lottie turns around, starts pouring tea. I have been of the belief that whether knowingly or unknowingly, Lottie has been drugging everyone in the compound. That is just a belief I can go into later on with more evidence if you guys are interested. But we we see her pouring tea. It's very pointed to in this scene. And then we quickly realize why when she turns around and says, we give it what it always wants, one of us. In one of those cups that she poured, there is poison. And she wants just everyone to pick up a cup and one of them will just die. And she thinks that that's an okay way to live her life right now. And she ends the, the last time we see, I believe, maybe not, sorry if this is a lie. We see Lottie, she says, we don't get to decide, it chooses. So again, it, okay. Juxtapose this, going back to 1996, The Hunt. That's what I'm going to call this section. Lottie, we see her depicted up in the attic, not doing well. She, I'm not around people dying a lot. I don't know a lot about that, but if I had to guess, I, that was, that's what it looked like. I, that's my guess. We cut down to a group of teenagers who have taken the skull, the big skull off the mantle. It is in the center, there is a candle on it, and everyone is standing in a circle around. This reminded me a lot of the kind of Ouija board thing that they did in season one. And it has that similar vibe to me. I think that is where we are supposed to go given all the, dooms coming references from season one that we get in the next little bit as well. So I think we're supposed to parallel these things. It is evident without any explanation. It was not hard to follow at all that they are now going to draw cards. The queen of hearts, if you draw it, you are the chosen one. So Van is seems to be, th this seems to be her idea. 
she seems to be in charge in this moment. It even very much made me wonder if Van is the antler queen, the way, the authority with which she was speaking. I am in the same boat as I'm assuming everyone else where I thought that Jen or Melissa or Akila or Mari was going to pull the queen and I was utterly shocked. Shocked when Natalie pulled the queen. I could not believe it. Astonished. Another thing that I was just astonished by was how, okay, you collectively as a group or the wilderness or whatever it is has chosen someone as a sacrifice. So you're going to slit their throat in the middle of the cabin? No, you have a meat shed. You, you have a meat shed. You're in the middle of the cabin? Okay, I'll try to get over it. I'll try. I'll do my best, guys. Okay, so Natalie is the bravest person in the whole world. She very bravely follows through with, like, okay, she's you know, visibly upset. Shauna tells her to turn around. Shauna is going to end her so that Natalie is facing away so that Shauna, you know, doesn't have to visibly see her own actions. And Natalie says, wait, 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 wait. And then she turns around and she's like, if you're going to do this, you have to look at my, and it was like so epic. I love the actress that plays teenage Natalie and I love the actress that plays teenage Shauna. They are both just like amazing. But like I would, oh, yes, yes, look me in the eyes. Shauna obviously struck like it what an impossible situation. Shauna was good with a knife like one time and now she is like the default knife girl. That just sucks. That just sucks so much. So we get some flashes two flashes in particular when it cuts from Natalie to Shauna back to of the the dooms coming where they were had all been drugged from the mushrooms and attacked Travis and essentially not essentially they did hold a knife to Travis so this may be him kind of having some flashbacks because there's some very apparent parallels and he attacks Shauna, knocks her to the ground and he looks at Natalie and says, run, which is exactly what Shauna said to Javi on Doom's Coming, right? So Shauna looked at Javi with like the all black eyes and it was like so creepy and she was like, run it was like dark and yeah Travis didn't have the, the eyes or anything but he said run Natalie takes off running and then immediately like a switch had flipped everyone in the room went from looking on in terror of what was going to happen to Natalie to they are now the pack of wolves they 
they are. They have become, they have, I don't know, evolved or devolved into that like true animalistic hunger. A couple girls hang back and hold Travis hostage at knife point. Javi looks at him, takes off running, does not seem to be in the same way of takeoff running as the pack. It's pretty evident who is like in the pack and who is not in the pack. So yeah, I was disappointed again, not the first time this episode that I was disappointed with Misty. Misty is the one to yell when Natalie takes off running, she's getting away. I was disappointed that it was Misty. I guess I was expecting it to be Mari. And I'm worried that because Misty stood up to Mari and kind of like got above her in the pack a little bit, that now Misty is going to take on those negative traits. I hope not. But that is something I'm worried about. So there, we, I assumed, I should not say, who's we? Who's, it's me, it's me. When Javi took off running, I very much thought like he's going to hide at wherever he was. Okay. I feel like I missed something. I did. I missed talking about Coach Ben finding where Javi had gone. Javi, yeah, I'm just going to include that here. So. Coach Ben finds a tree. He moves a fern. There's a hole in the tree. He goes down it. There's not a lot to it. He goes down it. It does look like a series of tunnels, which is something that a lot of us had been thinking. I'm incredibly interested in where these tunnels go and who else has been down in the tunnels, um, but I'm not incredibly interested in Coach Ben. I've been very clear about that. So... Coach Ben goes down there. He finds where a fire had been and presumably like small animal bones. And there's like a ton of the bones, like someone had been eating small animal. I don't, I don't actually know. I'm not like a small animal bone expert, but that is, that was my assumption. It looked like chicken bones is running. And to his beautiful little credit because he's a good person. He finds Natalie and Natalie, obviously she is being hunted. So like the reasoning parts of her brain are not currently, you know, firing. She is in survival mode. She does not know whether she can trust Javi in this moment. Is he tricking her? But Javi actually speaks. And he basically, he says, you know, come with me. I know where we can hide. And Natalie does. We get shots of the pack in what I would call full frenzy. Here's how you know, just some interesting stuff. As humans, our main like sense, whether we realize it or not, whether you think you have bad eyesight or not, is our is our eyes. We do most of our perception through seeing most of it. So like that, we depend on eyesight way more than other animals do. Some other other animals have better eyesight than us. You know what I mean? So when we're watching the now frenzied pack of the teenage girls running, they are doing things that are not natural to 
like human interaction. They are sensing with their other senses. So they're depending more on mainly what we see smell. Like we see some of them sniffing the air as if they could sniff out Natalie and ears, like the way they're moving their heads so that their ears can be positioned different ways. Those are not usually ways that human beings like perceive the world around us. Like when we do have smells and things like that, or sounds, we take in the information and they help. But our main way of perception is eyesight. So watching the frenzied pack use the the other senses the way like a pack of wolves would was disturbing. And Javi and Natalie are running. They're trying to get to the tree in the tunnel and um, they have to cross the pond of a pond. And so now there's a clearing, there's no more trees for them to hide. There's nowhere for them to hide. And they're sprinting across this pond and the pack is chasing them. The pack found them and it's this mad sprint and you hear the ice crack and Javi falls in the ice and Natalie is trying to get him out and Misty grabs Natalie away from trying to pull Javi out and says if you save them they'll kill you that was a paraphrase but essentially that and they all stand by and watch Javi drown and it was horrible it was horrible Javi. One of the worst parts, I think, was you think that they're going to have a human, like you think like, okay, this is like a group think model. And that now they're in this horrible situation where someone they care about is actively dying. They're going to stop this. And they don't. They actively don't. And they wait until Javi inhales water into his lungs and actively drowns. And Thaisa says, grab his body. So they, they literally felt kind of like pit girl in the way that like he fell and essentially into a pit and they watched him actively die, but they didn't want to lose the resource of his meat. It was just so not human it was it was well written hard to watch and just that added bit of like pull him out before he like goes to the bottom like the moose did it was horrible and then van announces the wilderness chose and my takeaway here and this was immediately confirmed i believe by the coming up on next week but in that moment i I did. You can believe me or not. I don't care. The girls are acting independently of Lottie. Okay. So like Lottie had no part in this. Lottie brought the mysticism and the whatever sort of prayer and the mindfulness, whatever aspects that Lottie is bringing to the group and to the vibe that like Natalie noted, this is different. Lottie had no part in this and the girls are doing this 
in the spirit of Lottie and in the spirit of that mysticism without the guidance of their guru. Lottie did not tell them to do this. She didn't imply that they should do this. She didn't motion that they should do this. She didn't even know they were doing this. And the girls are all attributing their actions to this belief system. And that's really dangerous. So that was the end of the episode. The coming up on, we see Misty filling Lottie in and it doesn't seem like she's cool with what's going on. So that kind of solidified that belief that I had. Adult Shauna says, we have to do it the way we used to. And Natalie's not cool with that. Walter and Jeff are in a scene together where there's apparently a body. Walter says, like, you want to help me with this body? I'm assuming it's not like a human body. Like, that's got to be some sort of like funny scene because it's so weird. And then there were a lot of quick shots of stuff. We see the adults basically donning the same types of masks as they did during the dooms coming. And I can't believe they're going to go through with that or not. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know they take it so far that they're putting on some masks. So that's a mess. That's a mess. If you enjoyed this, like and subscribe. That is the way that you can support, show your support. You can follow me on Instagram. It's the same title, Hear Me Over Analyze. And that's basically it. And I'm excited for next week. I'm going to try to make some videos about other theories that I have or if anything else comes up. And I hope that you found this interesting. I will try to be more concise in the future. And I hope you guys have a great week. Let me know your theories in the comments below.